Good morning. Again, um, please stand for the reading of God's word. Our reading is taken this morning from the epistle of Paul, or the epistle to the Hebrews, we'll get to that. Uh, uh, from Hebrews chapter 3, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, who share in a heavenly call, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. Yet Jesus has been counted worthy of as much more glory than Moses, as the builder of a house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and pride in our hope. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Now I'm going to quickly read another translation to help us understand this remarkable text. <clears throat> A translation uh, by N.T. Wright in his uh, commentary on Hebrews. Well then, my brothers and sisters, you are God's holy ones. You share the call from heaven. So think carefully about Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession of faith. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. He deserves much more glory than Moses, you see, just as the one who builds a house deserves more glory than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the one who builds all things <clears throat> is God. And Moses was faithful as a servant in all his house, thereby bringing witness to the things that were yet to be spoken of. But the Messiah is over God's house as a son. What is that house? It is us. Those of us who hold on tightly to the free delight and confidence of our hope. I wish I had the time to preach through the entire book of Hebrews. It is the most amazing uh, passage of the Bible. It is filled with high Christology. What is that? That is the doctrine of Christ, who he is. 100% God, 100% man, welded together in this remarkable person that we call our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews was written by, I made the mistake, I think, accidentally, by Paul, if you have a King James Version, it says, Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. It's been conjectured for many centuries, if not thousands of years. We have a couple thousand years behind us. Uh, who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. Some think Barnabas, some think Paul, some think Peter. Not to worry, it has been written. And so the, the Pauline view has lost favor, but it has been written. 
its importance. It shows the movement from the Old Testament, all the ritual, the praxis, the sacrifices, the temple, the priesthood, to where we are today. Done away by the finished work of Christ on the cross. But some of these Hebrews, some of these Hebrew Christians fell into their old ways, thinking uh, to their unbelief and uh, danger that they needed to go back or struggle with the law, all of the things that they were used to in their old ways. So the writer takes up his theme to show the excellency of Christ. Christ is better. Uh, He's better than angels. He's better than Moses, which we saw. Christ provided a better sacrifice. All those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to the one that would come. There is a better altar. There is a better priesthood. You know, when you have a doctor for a few years and the doctor retires or the doctor dies or the doctor moves on, you have to find another doctor. So it was with priests in the Old Testament. These priests were not permanent. They came and they went. Some of them were good, some of them were bad. But we have a priest who exists forever. He has an eternal priesthood. The irony, of course, is the fact that Christ was born into the tribe of Judah, which the law, that is the Old Testament, spoke nothing of concerning priesthood. The priesthood was changed. Now Christ is an eternal priest after the power of an endless life. And so we have a priest we can depend upon, one who who will never change, one who is there for us at all times. The theme, uh, ultimately, is a better hope, a better hope. And it was, it was... It was amazing to me to see how many times the word hope was in our texts and our prayers. The theme is Christ. As a matter of fact, Christ is the the topic of all scripture. This is in accord with the triune God. There is no God but the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's all over scripture from let us make man in the Garden of Eden to, as it was mentioned just a moment ago, Uh, This is my beloved son at his baptism, in whom I am well pleased. And we see the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling upon him. The doctrine of the Trinity is everywhere in the Bible. And so this is something in accordance with the purposes of God, as we'll see. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, there came a voice out of the most excellent cloud, this is my son, hear him. So the theme of the scripture is Christ. He's, in the Old Testament, concealed all the pictures of Christ. He's, in the New Testament, revealed. He fulfills all that there was predicted. So he's the major theme. And we know that the lamb slain in the Old Testament points to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this morning we want to look at Christ uh, as, as he's revealed in the passage These Christians were discouraged. Why was the book written? They had come, many of them, to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Many of these Hebrews put their faith in Jesus of Nazareth as the true Messiah. But their contemporaries, including the Romans, we know what they did to Christ, they were persecuting them. And as a result of the persecutions, they were discouraged. And so the book is filled with warnings, lest those who had believed in Christ went back to their old ways, their old doctrines, the old concepts of God, without realizing that Christ is the true Messiah. 
And so the book is full of warnings. Don't go back. Stay the course. Hold on. And uh, the book is written to encourage not only uh, warnings, but also the book of Hebrews is written to encourage and to help us to see. Uh, the, the, the ultimate, or maybe the penultimate uh, text in Hebrews is chapter 12. Maybe we'll get to it. Uh, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What you do with your eyes, the eyes of your heart, that's what will sustain you. You know, um, when we think of the disciples as they were in a time of great stress, we'll get to this, in a boat at sea at night. Jesus came walking on the waters. He's on top of all the circumstances of life, amen? And as a result of that, he seemed as if he would pass by. He said, be not afraid, it is I. So in this, by the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, I want to look at four things uh, in this passage, maybe five, that begin with H. Uh, years ago when I took a class in homiletics, the, the teacher said, well, if you see things that all line up as uh, alliteration, all H's or all P's or all T's, go for it. But, but you know, it sometimes helps, sometimes it hurts. And so uh, even through the night, I woke up, I couldn't sleep, and another H came to me. So I got five H's for you. I am serious. So um, five H's, the Hebrew Holocaust the Holy Brethren, the historical Jesus, the highest priest, and the hope set before us. First of all, the Hebrew Holocaust. These Hebrews were Jewish Christians who were under great persecution, as we've already said, because of their faith in Jesus of Nazareth. It says elsewhere that they lost their property. Many of them were beginning to lose their lives. And they were in danger of losing their newly acquired faith. That's the danger. Well, it's, it's bad to lose your property. It's bad to lose your job. It's bad to lose your health. Think of Job. But it's even worse when you lose your faith. So this epistle was written to encourage them. And I use this word holocaust because it was a word that um, speaks of, of the, t the tremendous fire, someone mentioned it earlier, the, the fiery judgment that they were, they were passing through. The word holocaust uh, was used to describe the sacrifices made in the uh, Old Testament. Uh, they, would, they would slay the animal, they would bring the animal, and they would lay the animal upon the altar, and the altar would consume the sacrifice. And the word that was used is the word for holocaust, the, cons the consumption of all of the sacrifices that were brought to God. The idea of an animal being wholly consumed in the flames is foreign to the current uh, mind. But not so the ancient world, not only Jewish, but even in the Greeks. The idea they would bring sacrifices to their gods. But we know that the true sacrifice would come, which is Christ, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we are aware of this word because in the 20th century, there was this terrible holocaust which uh, the Jewish people, and others as well, experienced in Europe uh, in the 1940s, about 80 short years ago. And you might cry out, as did these ancient Hebrews, why? Why this terrible affliction? You might cry out, as did Job, why 
is this happening to me? Job was a righteous man, and yet he went through tremendous persecution, or yes, persecution from the devil, but he went through tremendous trials. You might cry out as our Lord on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a question that's difficult to answer. We know he died for our sins. But you are not going through the sacrifice uh, as, of your experiences as a sacrifice. We go through trials, and sometimes there's a question that we have. And you know, these ancient Hebrews, as they w- went through these sacrifices, they asked the question, we're the people of God. Why would God let us down? Well, God has purposes. And so in our text, we see next, holy brethren. He begins by saying, therefore, holy brethren who share in a heavenly call. Part of the problem of suffering is the misunderstanding that is always raised. Why do the righteous suffer? Even when Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick, and Jesus didn't make, the, make it there on time to the sickbed, and he died. Both of his sisters, not just Mary, not just Mary, but also Martha, when they met Jesus, they said, Lord, if you were here, our brother would not have died. These were holy people. They were not perfect people. There are no perfect people. There's only one perfect man. Job was called a righteous man, and yet he suffered. Lazarus was not among the wicked. These Hebrews were suffering. They endured public humiliation. They lost their property. How would they be viewed? By their contemporaries, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, they became a gazing stock. They became publicly ridiculed. And then finally, the Holy One of Israel himself. He was a gazing stock. As a matter of fact, when we think of this Holocaust, Jesus himself entered into the Holocaust. It's the only way it makes sense to know that our God is with his people by entering into the suffering the exact same suffering that they passed through. Holy brothers and sisters. And we see the word holy there. We ask ourselves the question, what does holiness, how does holiness factor in? Well, the same thing is in relationship to Job. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the holy suffer? The word holy has nothing to do It's not a function of how good you are. It's not a function of how much you keep the law. Holiness is a relationship. As a matter of fact, it's nothing that we can do to become holy. Like justification, it is a gift. God gifts us in righteousness. He also gifts us in holiness. Holiness uh, in this text has to do with being set apart. These people were set apart for God. God loved them. He set them apart. And the doctrine of sanctification, holiness, has to do with three things. Positional. We are sanctified. God has put us in a relationship of holiness. But it's also transitional. We are transitioning into more holiness as we pass through this life. 
And that's why the trials come in. The trials are designed to urge us onward. Sometimes it seems difficult to understand, but um, that diamond put into the uh, pressure of uh, those of you who know metallurgy and, and, and uh, jewelry and so forth, uh, these diamonds are created by the pressure of long pressure of heat and ultimately there comes out this diamond. Gold is tried in the fire, Peter tells us in his epistle, to produce a much greater, more brilliant metal. And so we have positional holiness. We have transitional holiness. But when Christ comes, we will be finally holy. Our holiness will be complete. So be encouraged, holy brothers and sisters. We have access to God, as we see in this context. We can draw near, not on the basis of our holiness, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. Look back, if you want to, to Hebrews chapter, I think, chapter 4. Um, it says in 14, Since then we have a great high priest, we'll get to that in a moment, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast. There's another H. Hold fast our confidence. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus actually feels what you go through. He's entered into your experiences. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In fact, we're already there, are we not? Truth be told, we holy brothers and sisters are already with Christ. He's with us. We're with him. Hebrews, no, Ephesians tells us that we're seated in the heavenlies in Christ. So we are as good as there. We need, we need to embrace that which we've been given. We need to draw near to, to God. And then we see something about the historical Jesus. You know, a little bit of history, of church history. Uh, about 150 years ago, people like von Harnack, I know you don't know these names, but um, Albert Schweitzer, you've heard of the great uh, physician. And he, and they speculated about the search to find the historical Jesus. Wow. We... We had the creed this morning. I'm glad that we read the creed. It says in the creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is that there? That is there because you tie Jesus of Nazareth to a real historical character in history. And so we realize that uh, the historical Jesus, Christ is not just an idea. It's not something that God or uh, others trumped up to give the prospect of uh, maybe moral excellence or maybe uh, the imitation of Christ. No, the historical Jesus, he was a real person. You know, Philip finds Nathaniel and says to him, John's Gospel, we have found him. There's no search for the historical Jesus. This is a narrative. This is not a myth. We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
So the Bible is not written as a myth. It is a historically indicative statement. It's a fact. It's not a subjunctive for you grammarians. It's not if it's so or if it might be so. It is a fact. Christ died for our sins. It's not a question. It is a historical indicative. It's a fact. And if you're struggling, years ago, we had this little paradigm. The foundation is fact. And upon fact, you build your faith. And upon your faith, then you can enjoy your feelings. If we invert that pyramid and the feelings are at the bottom, our feelings shift and we have no foundation. Christ is the foundation, the facts. And upon the facts, we rest our faith. And then we have the joy of appreciating what God has done for us. I must move on. Uh, we see two things that are very beautiful here in this, in this passage. Christ is called the apostle. The apostle. Now you say, well, were there not 12 apostles? Yes, there were 12 apostles. And if you read the Gospels, in one place it says that Jesus, uh, he appointed 70 apostles and sent them out to preach the good news. And each of us who is a believer... You think of the, good, the Great Commission, right? Jesus said to his disciples, apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the word apostle means one who is sent. One who is sent. We are sent to our neighbors and our friends to give them the good news. The 12 apostles, they were sent to give the gospel. The 70, they were sent to give the gospel. But what about Jesus? It says that Christ is the apostle of God. He's the great apostle. He's the one sent by God. And I was looking up this word um, in uh, A.T. Robertson's word pictures in the Greek New Testament. And he said this, that the idea of sent here is not sent as an envoy. You know, a president or a king may send an envoy to a foreign company, country in order to represent that country as a delegate. But he has no power. He says, well, the president, he thinks this, or the king, he thinks that. But our Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, is sent by the Father as someone, not only as a delegate of, delegate of the Father, but someone who has the power of the Father as well. It's someone sent with authority. So Jesus Christ is God the Son. In 1 John chapter 4, we have these words. Herein is the love of God manifested. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. If you ever want to know about the love of God, look at Jesus. He was sent. His be the victor's name who fought our fight alone. Triumphant saints, no honor claim. His victory was their own. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is our great victor. He's also our great high priest. He came into this world to accomplish the Father's will. You know, he said this, I come to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his purpose. Finally, the highest priest. Uh, priesthood. 
Priests were ordained by God in the Old Testament. First of all, Aaron. Moses was of that same class, but Aaron was the principal priest. And then we find that there was a whole family of priests in the Levitical offerings. And uh, we need a priest. They needed a priest. And what does a priest do? First of all, he helps infirmity. Someone is infirm. Someone is in trouble. They call the priest who comes along and helps. The priest was one who was designed by God to comfort the people. They didn't always do so. Remember Eli? He was a failed priest. But again, the contrast between the Old Testament priests who came and went with this priest who never fails is, 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 is encouraging to us. A priest also, tells us in our text, provides sacrifice for sins. We know that the priests brought the sacrifices. And also, they brought near to God. Now, we mentioned this and we have to close. The priests were someone who could sympathize with the sufferings and the pain of those that they were uh, charged to, to help. Another little poem. With joy, we meditate the grace of God's high priest above. His heart is filled with tenderness. His very name is love. Touched with a sympathy within. He knows our feeble frame. He knows what sore temptations mean, for he has felt the same. But spotless, undefiled, and pure, the great Redeemer stood, while Satan's fiery darts he bore and did resist to blood. He, in the days of sorrowing flesh, poured out his cries and tears, and though ascended, feels afresh what every member bears. Our Lord Jesus Christ feels all of our needs. Finally, the hope that is set before us. Hebrews 12, you can read it yourself, time is gone. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is something that really falls in the same uh, pathway. The hope that is set before us. Uh, there was a poet in our history, in our country, Langston Hughes, Afro-American poet uh, of the Harlem Renaissance period. Uh, he wrote, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. If we're broken, in our hope. The scripture says we are saved by hope. And so we must hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Hold on. Christ is the faithful man. Uh, most men will claim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? We have such in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful that you've given to us such a grateful, I mean, such a great high priest as our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is faithful amidst unfaithfulness, amidst darkness, only light. And Father, we thank you that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he ever lives to make intercession for us as our great high priest, our helper, 
our sustainer. And so we pray that each one here today might enjoy the prospect of hope that is set before us in our risen and exalted Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's respond to the...